My loves, let me ask you something. Are you ready to dive deep? Or do you feel like you need some time away from the people, place, and things that make up your current life? It could be both. You're like, I need to get the fuck away from everything and everyone. And I'm also ready to take my spiritual path to the next degree, honey. Okay? Regardless of what it is, I got you. There's two legendary, amazing, delicious opportunities for us to practice together in person this year. The first one is at the iconic Omega Institute in New York, upstate New York. And the second one is in Mykonos, Greece, honey. And both of these retreats are going to be a combination of the spiritual dance practice, also known as the SAT method, also known as the spiritual workout, and Dharma talks. So let me break this down for you. The SAM method, for those of you who are like, what the fuck is that? It's a practice. Uh, it's an experience. It's a, it's, a, it's a performance art healing experience that I created um, that combines ecstatic dance, meditation, breath work, and mantra. And these four practices are here to activate, amplify, and energize the four qualities in your heart, according to Buddhist psychology, which are love, compassion, joy, and wisdom. So during the retreat... And, and upstate New York is five days, excuse me, six days, five nights. And Greece is eight days, seven nights. I'm going to tell you more about this in a second. But during the retreat, we're going to dance. We're going to dance twice a day. Okay. And dance as much as you want. Move as much as you want. But the whole purpose of the, of the movement is for you to actualize what you learn during the theory part. Where we're going to sit around and I'm going to explain to you through, through the, the, my interpretation and my understanding, my studies of Buddhist psychology, I'm going to give you all that I know during that dedicated, you know, retreat time away from the people, place and things that make up your current experience. You're going to be devoted towards your heart, towards your liberation. Therefore, you're going to be able to then actualize that which you learn during theory in the dance floor. And then you're going to be, be able to bring that all back into your life once you leave the retreat. Going to retreat has been one of the best things that I've ever done for myself. It has changed my life. And you've heard, if, you, if you're a listener, uh, an avid listener to the podcast, you've heard me talk about going on retreats over and over again. If you've read my books, you know that going on spiritual retreats is how we take our practice to the next level. Oftentimes we do need to take time away from people, place, and things that make up our current life in order for us to truly discover who are we really and what is it that I want to do in my life. And maybe you're like, I already know who I am and I'm already happy with what I'm doing in my life, but you want to actually bring more joy, more bliss. You actually want to be happier, more playful, more lighthearted in more lightheartedness into your life. This retreat, these retreats are for you. You can either come to one or you can come to both. It doesn't matter. The point of the Psalm method, the spiritual workout, the spiritual dance practice is for us to say fuck off to people that says that when you are a disciplined spiritual practitioner, you become more serious. That is a lie. Okay. The truth is the deeper you become, the, the, the deeper you, you, you enter into the spiritual path and the more you're disciplined about your spiritual liberation, the more playful and lighthearted and more smiles and more humor and more laughter your life becomes filled 
with. Okay, so click the links in the show notes and I hope to see you at, in upstate New York at the iconic, legendary Omega Institute. Uh, let me tell you the dates. Uh, upstate New York is June 19th through the 24th. Okay, and Greece is um, October 8th through October 15th, okay? And if you have any questions or concerns about the retreats, when you click the link in the show notes, um, or so you can visit my Instagram bio or my TikTok bio to get all the details for the for the retreats. If you have questions, just go onto the retreats website and, and click over there to find out how you can talk to the retreat producers. They're both amazing powerhouse companies that are producing my retreats. They will be able to help you with anything you need, okay? I love you all so much, and I cannot wait to practice with you and get free with you. Love you. Peace. Hello, my loves, and welcome back to a new episode of The Spiritually Sassy Show. Today's guest is Tammy Simon. Tammy is the founder of Sounds True, North America's leading publisher of spoken word spiritual teachings. And by the way, Sounds True published my second book, Spiritually Sassy. Um, Tammy is also the host of the popular Sounds True podcast called Insights at the Edge, which has now been downloaded more than 20 million times. She's also the founder of the new Sounds True Foundation, which is dedicated to bringing spiritual education to communities in need. Well, 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 oh my goodness. We have the legendary Tammy Simon in the house today. Welcome to the show, my love. Hi. Hi, great to be with you. Oh my God, I'm so honored. You've given like my whole life so much purpose and support. And so thank you. Thank you for everything you do for, for the world and for what you've done for me too. Well, you know, I love you, Sa. Simple. Oh, thank simple you and, so Simple much. and sassy. It's true. Thank you. Thank you, my love. So first question I ask everybody uh, is who are you right now? A cauldron of... Different kinds of forces that express itself at the moment as a type of peripatetic fountain. It's not necessarily a big open flowing fountain, but mm. yet there is fountainous energy mm. pouring out of me to others. Oof. Wow. Beautiful. What is that word though? Peripatetic. Peripatetic. What yeah. that what that meant to me was kind of like it's not you know like sometimes when I sit and I check in inside and I'm like mm -hmm. checking into the flows, it feels like there's this incredible free energy that's just smooth and flowing. And peripatetic is more like a little more stuttery. And it may be because I had a cup of very strong chai from our local tea house and it's a little bit high petrol. And I think it created a certain quality. Good, good, good. Oh my goodness. I stopped drinking coffee, so I'm drinking chai now and a combination of these adaptogenic mushrooms with masala, you know, uh, chai in it and uh, with walnut milk, walnut mm, milk. Yeah. That sounds good. Mm -hmm. A little honey, a little ghee, a little coconut oil, stir it up with a little, I don't know what that thing is called, the little- um, Frother? Frother, yeah. And there it is. And it's just amazing. Um, so 
Para what? What is that word again? I need to remember it. It's it's just it it kind of you know it's what's it's one of those great words that sounds like the word itself. Peripatetic. Peripatetic. Okay, cool. Enough with that word. Thank you. So let's talk about let's talk about what got you into spiritual publishing. Like, and I know it happened at such a young age, and it was just kind of like, was it a through a mystical experience? Did you get like a an apparition and said? Tammy, you need to start this legendary publishing house and explore spirituality? Or was it just kind of like you're reading a book and you said, hey, I want to do that too? Yeah. Well, there's a a lot of different ways to answer that question. Uh, I'll try just a couple. One Mm -hmm. is that there isn't that much I care about really, except deep spiritual insight and how it can be poured out in a way to create healing for people and for our human species. Like that's Mm -hmm. really what I care about. So there isn't really anything else I could do with myself because nothing else gets me out of bed in the morning. Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't do it. Like, mm-hmm. even though I've been running a spiritual wisdom publishing company for 36 mm-hmm. years, I just wouldn't get up out of bed to be in a business doing this, that, or the other thing. Mm-hmm. It's just there wouldn't be enough in it for mm-hmm. me. Then I think other things, and this is now looking back in retrospect, is that I need spiritual wisdom myself. Mm-hmm. I need to be in it, around it, reading it talking about it, studying it. I need to be in those waters all the time. Mm-hmm. In that sense, it's like it reminds me of sage truths that I need to be reminded of. Mm-hmm. So it's also a balm for me. Mm-hmm. So what I'm able through Sounds True to offer to other people is also a medicine I need. I need mm-hmm. it all the time. So I need to be around it. Mm-hmm. But back when I started Sounds True- mm-hmm. uh, I can relate I was, to all of those you know, things. Both of those yeah. things. Yeah. Same for me. That's all I'm interested in and, and I need it. That's why I share it. Yeah. But now we have to we have to travel back and mm-hmm. I'm 21. I'm dropping out of college. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. You know, am I going to be a drummer in an all-female rock band? Well, if only I played the drums. Wasn't very good <laughs> at it. Okay. You know, whatever fantasies I uh, might have had. Uh-huh. Uh what happened was as I was dropping out of college, I traveled around Sri Lanka, India, and Nepal for a year, started meditating. And I gave myself to the practice of meditation. I just gave myself to it completely. Mm-hmm. And I said, this practice has been so powerful for me. It has given me my life. Mm-hmm. It has given me a sense of coming home inside my body and feeling mm-hmm. like I belong on the earth instead of being a total alien. I want to introduce as many people as possible to this practices and other internal technologies and approaches that mm-hmm. connect people to you could call it big mind or the vastness. What I want to connect people to that somehow, some way. I give mm-hmm. my life to it. Mm-hmm. So I also made devotional statements. Mm-hmm. I traveled around India, went to different temples, laid down mm-hmm. in the sand, full prostrations, mm-hmm. face in the ground. And I said, I give my whole life to this. I give my whole life to this. I give my whole life to this. At so I 21 years old, Tammy. Yeah. <sighs> mm, mm, mm. So that, I mean, that's where I was at. I gave my whole life to it. But then how was that going to manifest? I didn't know. I just kept giving my whole life to it. And then when I came back and decided not to finish college, much to my parents' disappointment, Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I don't know how, I have no idea how this is going to work. 
And I uh, started saying a prayer, God, I'm willing to do your work. Please show me what it is. And of course, this is interesting. Here's this person who discovered Buddhist meditation, who's invoking God, but that was the prayer that came to me. Uh, God, I'm willing to do your work. And the word willing was really important because I didn't want to be willless, like I have nothing to do with this. But I also didn't want to be overly willful, like I'm going to push and make it happen no matter what. But I was like, I am willing. I am here. And mm -hmm. I want to do your work. Mm -hmm. I want to do the work of uh what that energy is mm -hmm. of infinity and love. I want to do that work through me. Please show me what it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then there was a series of events that happened. Mm -hmm. And one of those events is that I was interviewing somebody for a volunteer radio show that I had on Boulder County Community Radio, KGNU. Wow. And as part of preparing for our interview, I shared with him that I had inherited a small amount of money, $50,000, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do with it. Mm. And he said to me, why don't you put it into yourself? And mm. I said, well, that's a great idea, but uh, I don't know what to do with myself, basically. <laughs> like, sounds good. Sounds good. Uh -huh. and, and he said to me, uh, why don't you come back in three days and we'll mm. talk about it. Mm. And I walked out of his office and I had a very bizarre experience. Mm. I started feeling like I was walking a little bit above the ground. So mm. that was already very odd. Like, why am I not walking on the ground? Why am yeah. I walking on air? Uh. And then I heard a voice. And of course, you know, when you hear a voice, you never know what's mm -hmm. actually going on. Where's yeah. that voice coming from inside yeah. my head? And the voice said, disseminate spiritual wisdom. Wow. And then my feet hit the ground. And like whatever this like mm -hmm. weird event was, it was mm -hmm. over. Mm -hmm. And I was walking on the ground and I started thinking about it. Mm. And as I started thinking about it, I thought, huh, maybe I'll disseminate spiritual wisdom. I'll start using audio because books are very competitive. The book publishing companies, video, my parents watched a lot of television. I don't want to be in the, in the TV business. Mm -hmm. Uh, but audio, I have a radio show and people like my radio show. They like my interviews. Mm -hmm. I already sell like two or three copies a week, the smallest <laughs> cottage business in the world. I'm going to disseminate spiritual wisdom and I'll start with audio. And yeah. that's how Sounds True was born. Oh my God. Wow. So you, you already touched upon a question that I was going to ask you about mystical experiences. Do you, do you know what that voice, um, who was that voice? Or is it even important to know who that voice was? You know, I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. I could, of course, hypothesize. Yeah. We could, I could probably nominate five different things. Mm. If you put a gun to my head, which I know you wouldn't, but if just for the sake it's an expression, mm. and you said, you have, to, you have to answer this question, don't dodge it, Tammy. Don't yeah. say, you know. Yeah. I would say it was an angel. Mm -hmm. And it was a kind of guardian angel mm. uh, of my incarnation that was mm. trying to help me and mm -hmm. respond to my sincere prayer. Mm. So now what is an angel? Now that gets into an interesting question because mm -hmm. what is that? Mm -hmm. And you know, I think that's some kind of intelligence that's in a dimension that we can't see. And I think there are all kinds of celestial intelligences surrounding mm -hmm. all of us all the time, mm -hmm. but we're not attuned to them. Mm -hmm. you know, so I think it was a, a an intelligence. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, and lately I've been, I've been, uh, so a story started that the 
someone was telling me on the podcast about um, how Michael Jackson makes his work. It's like a selfless act of service. That's why he's always so inspired and so creative, something like that. And something about like God being in a room when you're selfless. So I, I love that you're, you're, you know, walking around these extremely powerful uh, places in, in the East where, you know, thousands and millions of people at this point have gone and have, you know, blessed it and have prayed in there, have done all these beautiful prostrations uh, and accumulated a lot of merit. So these are supercharged places. It's like you put an intention in that place. It's going out to the megaphone, into the ethers across all planes of existence. That's how I see it, you know? Yeah. Um, so you going out there and saying these uh, and speaking out these prayers and then it's the prayers were so altruistic. They were so selfless in nature. That's why I believe from, you know, just from having these conversations and having these conversations right now that then you have the support of this, of the unseen world. You have the support of the celestial realm when our mission has become um, greater than just my needs, my life, me, 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 me. Let me do something that yeah. will have this uh, greater impact. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing I think is that you don't have to go to India. You don't have to go to any special anywhere. That's you right. Know, you can be sitting on the toilet. It doesn't matter. Uh, the thing that matters is your sincerity, mm. the depth of your sincerity, the mm. depth of it. Mm -hmm. And I also think that each one of us, by being a human, we want to give to each other. Mm -hmm. That's how we're built. We're, we are built to share mm -hmm. our love. Mm -hmm. That's that's it. We're built that way. Mm -hmm. So when you touch in deep into your own sincerity, you touch into that part of you that really wants to give to mm -hmm. other people. Mm, I love that. One thing I've been speaking about lately too, it's like we we have this fundamental need to be liberated and to contribute. And the depth of our contribution is directly linked to the depth of our liberation. And that liberation comes from the sincerity of, of wanting to be a better person, of wanting to be a better version of ourselves and, and wanting to, to sort of a surrender and merge and dance with the unseen world and say, um, you know, there's more to life than, than I know. And there's more to reality than I can see with the eyes in my face. And the sincerity and that groundlessness that it is to be at, to kind of walk in the dark in the, in the unseen world. Uh, then it cracks open your heart and then you open up to this fountain of, of love, compassion, joy, wisdom. The next thing you know, you're smiling at a stranger. You're, you're donating money. You're spending time in a shelter. You're, it's just kind of like opens you up, you know? Free people set other people free. Mm, yes. Oh my God. Yes. Free people set other people free. <laughs> I mean, you must have all the mo the the most clear one liners out of anyone I know because you, you can are... you can have all of them. So you take them, <laughs> take them and run. Listen. Tell me about India a little bit more. Were you out when you traveled to India? Uh, let's go back. Have to. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah, I had already um, fallen in love in, at college in my sophomore year with a woman, mm -hmm. and had de you know declared that and told my family and brought her home to meet my mom and mm. all of that. Yeah, before I went. Yeah. How were your parents and, before we get uh, into India again? Mm. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, uh, well, 
you know, my mother was like, I always knew there was something different about you. And mm. I was like, it goes a lot deeper than just being a lesbian, mom. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot here. You really want to know all the things that are different about me. But, you know, yeah. I think it gave her something that she could like put a frame around uh-huh. to understand like yeah. why she found me so, uh, you know, alien really mm-hmm. to, um, in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, so I think she felt good. Like it was kind of something she could hang her hat on. Like, okay, now I understand why my, why my daughter is mm-hmm. the way she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, there wasn't really a whole lot of judgment. And, you know, interestingly, mm. in terms of my family, it was a lot harder to drop out of college than it was to come out as a lesbian. Really? Like wow. for them coming out as a lesbian. Okay. We, we, we can accommodate that. But you were supposed to, you were so academically, um, in their view, gifted. Uh, and for me to say, I'm going to walk away. And also, I think for my mother, she always wanted to go to college, like a liberal arts college, but there wasn't mm. enough money in her family. Yeah. There were four kids and they sent her brother to dental school and she did, there wasn't any money left for her. Mm-hmm. So for me to walk away from all that, because I discovered meditation Mm-hmm. And you know, and didn't want to get an <laughs> academic degree in a yeah. religious studies department. They could not. That it's like that's your ticket. That's mm-hmm. your ticket to the whole rest of your life. How could you walk away from that? Wow. And I was like, well, you know, wherever I'm going, that's not the ticket they're going to need. Mm-hmm. Not where I'm going. Not where I'm going. Wow. But they couldn't. They couldn't understand that. It was really devastating for them, and that mm-hmm. was hard. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so interesting. Oh my goodness. You've, you've done all of it so young. Wow. It just amazes me in the most beautiful, like, wow, it's possible, you know, it's really possible. What was interesting is I wasn't really trying, you yeah. know what I mean? Like I wasn't like trying to do something. I was like literally just trying to find my way. Yeah. And in the academic world, I was just like, I would write papers on, uh, books by mystics. Mm-hmm. And the the teacher would say that I had like didn't understand what uh what you know or something because I wasn't able to speak academic speak. Mm-hmm. I wanted because we're talking about uh mystical revelations. And I was like, don't you want to know what's happening inside my experience? They're like, no, actually there's no room for personal voice in academia. You have to like give an analysis of this. Wow. And I was just like, no. No, no mystic worth their salt would get a degree like this. No, I'm out of there. Mm-hmm. So it was really there was this drive in me, mm-hmm. which was simply to be true to myself, quite mm-hmm. honestly, to be mm-hmm. a to be a person I could live with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, you know, in some ways, it's kind of it wasn't that easy for me. Yeah. I mean, it was hard. It was hard. Yeah. Mm. Wow, I love that. Uh, the interest, the interest in 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 the, in the in mysticism has always been like in the background of my of my mind. It wasn't until I left fashion and got, you know, really really severely debilitated by suicidal ideation that I was like, I need to go find help. And that's when I had the audacity of of boarding a plane a plane to India. You know, yeah. How I just delicious. got I just got I just got debilitated earlier than you did. <laughs> <laughs> No, tell me more about India. Um, what what sure. else uh, was like uh, eye opening for you? And guys, the reason why I ask about India is just because you know it's it's a kind of a place where there is the veil is so thin. So it's not that we need to go to India to experience these experiences that Tammy shares that I've shared. It's it's just there is about there's something about listening to these kinds of stories and then sort of like making uh, it's 
we're receiving these imprints. It's like mystical imprints. So our our baseline changes. We start to see ourselves in the world a little bit a little bit different. You know, there's more flexibility. There's more there's more understanding. There's more. You're able to stretch your mind a little bit more. So every time you listen to a mystical stories or someone that's traveled to the Far East, there is the, a, a stretching that takes place. So that's why I always ask sure. about okay. these stories. Well, you know, you the know? first time the first time that I went to India, you know, I kissed the ground when I got off the plane, like I had come to the mother country because of all the books I had read. And after going to India three, four, five times, when I went, you know, at the fifth time, I was like, you know, I never need to come here again. There isn't anything in this <laughs> land and in this environment that's not in me that's always available in my experience. So it was a journey that I took. And I, I went from that first kind of romantic place that stepping on the land itself, mm -hmm. you know, let alone bathing in the rivers and things like that was yeah. going to transform me. Mm -hmm. But uh, the real, I think, uh, highlight of the trip was when I discovered Vipassana meditation. And I went on these 10-day meditation retreats with a teacher named Goenka, who was from Burma. You sat and with Goenka? I sat with the man himself. Yeah, oh four my God, Tammy. Four, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> four 10 day retreats over the course of a few months oh with him God. teaching. Was Sharon Salzberg in a room and all these other people? Were they all in no, the background too? There weren't, there weren't any of the other uh, Western oh teachers my that. God. Where were you, Bodh Gaya? No, uh, he was at his center in Igatpuri. And so I did. Uh, well, I did one retreat with him in Sri Lanka, then two at Igatpuri in his center, and then a fourth one in Kathmandu. Wow. But he was there teaching each one, and you might appreciate this, uh, mm. not everybody would, but you know, as you're 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 meditating, first of all, from five in the morning till ten at night. Total boot camp style. They call it noble silence. And, you know, really it's one of those types of noble silence where nobody is talking. Mm -hmm. Not a not a word. Not one word. You're not even like talking to yourself you know, mm -hmm. in your, in your room or something like, no, you're, you know, and he would bellow out in the middle of the meditation sessions on which is the word for impermanence. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in his own voice, he would, he would bellow out a Nietzsche to, as you're meditating to make sure that you're not getting stuck in any kind of solid thinking and mm -hmm. feeling like you're a solid witness. Everything's impermanent. Anyway, it was, it was, I feel very lucky that I had that chance to study directly with him. And it, it changed me, changed mm -hmm. me. Oh my God. What an amazing story. Wow. Ah, thank you for that. Um, and and what would you say was like a, a sort of a main main takeaway from having those long retreats? You know, one, you know, the lineage that I study is is is, is different. Um, I would say it's a little bit more colorful per se, right? Um, but you know, it, it, what really changed for me? What, what one thing that really was like a, a just this catalytic like volcanic change was meditating on death. On the last three days of my first ever 10-day retreat, we were meditating on death for one hour each day, each night, maybe a couple of hours actually. And having that experience was actually like, oh shit, I, I better do something with this life, girl, because this th you're not sticking around and you don't even know if you're sticking around. Somehow I had lived my life up into my, you know, my young 28 years, um, thinking that you had, a, you, you could just, 
do it tomorrow. You could just get it done next year. You could just, you know, and and have a retirement and, you know, kind of do the thing that we've been conditioned and colonized to believe. But that meditation was like woke me up out of this like deep, deep uh, slumber. And I always tell that story because we don't talk about death enough, you know. Mm-hmm. So what was it for you? Like one main sort of, I mean, permanence, you said it, but is there another one, like another piece of, of something that you've carried with you up until now that's kind of yeah. always with you? Well, I, I feel like I need to share just briefly in the 10-day retreat context how they teach mm-hmm. Vipassana insight mm-hmm. meditation. So the first few days, you pay attention to every little spot on your body from the top of your head all the way down to the bottom of your feet. So you're tracking, you're like waking up every little itty bitty part of your body. So mm-hmm. you're all your whole body is becoming vibrantly alive, vibrating, scintillating, mm-hmm. bubbling. Mm-hmm. And then you spend days doing the sweeping practice mm-hmm. where you're sweeping up and down your body with each inhale and exhale. So I think what I got from that practice is, first of all, mm. how intensely alive we are and how fulfilling, how nourishing, how uh, kind of utterly joyful that experiences of just relishing our aliveness. Mm. You know, that's why I'm saying you don't have to go to India. You don't have to go mm-hmm. anywhere. Mm-hmm. You, you don't you don't even you don't have to do like even hours and hours. You just have to like, oh my God, let me breathe into mm-hmm. what is right here. And mm-hmm. that to me, you know, the the depth of that is mm-hmm. that there isn't some place, there isn't something out there I need to get. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need to read another spiritual book. Mm-hmm. I don't need to, you know, blah, 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 even though mm-hmm. I will read another spiritual book. And I like being reminded <laughs> of all these things. But it's not, yeah. it's not like there's not a compulsion because it's all right here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's beautiful. <sighs> I haven't said Vipassana yet. Uh, Diego, young Pueblo, for those who know his work, um, he's always telling me, come out to Massachusetts, come sit with me. I haven't said Vipassana yet, but I know of Guenka's work, of course, you know. Yeah, and you you know, the thing is, it's very also um, uh, frozen in a certain way. You're on the cushion. Mm-hmm. So you're breathing and there's all this aliveness and all this rainbow you happening, but you're also sitting the whole time. Yeah. And so I'm just, you know, me, I can, I can talk about the pros and cons of anything. It's a part of, <laughs> part of my nature. And so I don't know how sassy yeah. Vipassana is yeah. in a certain sense. Yeah. I mean, my own practice now, I like to incorporate a lot of movement that's and, right. you know, I'm not frozen on the, on the cushion, like a Buddha statue. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a lot of other things because I need to feel my body in motion and that mm-hmm. helps me feel more free. Mm-hmm. And you know what I was doing just before I got on? Whirling. I just put mm. this beautiful Krishna Das song and I just started whirling right here in the living room, you know? Um, I didn't close my eyes completely. I just like lowered the gaze enough. And it's just like five minutes of it. And that has just been doing wonders for me, you know? Have you ever done that before? Yeah, for yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, and that's something that I've been, in, uh, you know, teaching. It's it's kind of guiding people to like have a seated practice and and really concentrate the mind and, and breathe the body and become one with the breath, and then get up and move. You know, yeah. get up and move. Be in movement, 
and and shake it and and feel like a, a freak, like a weirdo. Just and do it sober too, because that will. Oof, my God, you're gonna feel all. You're gonna literally have a a ninety minute dance practice that will feel like five years of therapy because of all the things that you're gonna process when you are in movement with an intention to to purify, to to cleanse, to to awaken. You know. Yeah. I think one thing is, this is what I need right now. Mm. It doesn't have to be more than that. It doesn't have to be, this is the way, this is the right way. This is the better way. Let me rank in a hierarchical fashion what all the different practices are. Like, no, like, let's skip that. Mm -hmm. Let's ask ourselves, what is the medicine I need Mm -hmm. right now for Mm -hmm. where I'm at? Is Mm -hmm. it lying on my back and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah? Is it dancing? Is it hiking? Like we go on and on, Mm -hmm. but like, just let yourself have what you need right now. Do you think, I mean, and now I'm playing, I'm playing, what do they call the devil's advocate? Like, do you think that you could say, you can ask yourself that question because you've been, you know, immersed in, 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 in this spiritual training for so many years for the ones who are listening are like, I'm so lost. I don't know what, and they ask, what do I need? It might come up. The first thing comes to their mind, it might say Netflix, ice cream, a cigarette, wine, porn, you know? Right. But Well, there's, there's two answers. First of all, Mm. if, if that were really true, that those answers you just gave were giving somebody what they needed, they probably wouldn't be listening to this conversation because there's something happening. There's a hunger, there's a longing, there's an emptiness. There's something else that you want. So that's Mm -hmm. not really the truth. Mm -hmm. But secondly, um, and I think more to a more deeper answer to your question, Mm. um, this is a little complicated, but I'm going to go there. I believe there's a different kind of practice you need before you've had a real Kundalini awakening experience Mm. than after. So before you've had a sense of being kind of lit up from the inside, Mm -hmm. where you know you have an inner guidance system, Mm -hmm. where you can work with yourself and trust yourself, Mm -hmm. before that happens, it's good to just find a teacher you like, a Mm -hmm. practice you like, and stick with it until the lights go on inside. (laughs) Because you need the lights to go on. That's right. You need to have your inner intelligence awake. Now, after that happens, then you can ask, what do I need? And you can be very free to follow different things Mm -hmm. and trust yourself because Mm -hmm. you're in touch with your own kind of inner teacher at that point, and Mm -hmm. it will take you where you need to go. So I think there's actually two different phases and Mm -hmm. it's important it's important to tell yourself the truth about where you're at Mm. so a lot of the early practices just sit on this cushion for x number of hours or dance for x number of hours Mm -hmm. you do it until there's this kind of breakthrough Mm -hmm. and then you do you get it you're like oh i'm lit up Mm -hmm. what do i mean well the the pilot light went on Mm -hmm. and once it goes on it never goes out really Mm -hmm. it can get dim or whatever but it's there Mm -hmm. and you can you can you can contact it Mm-hmm. And once that's the case, your practice life is different. Mm. Okay, I love this. Thank you, and thank you for for elevating the the minds of the listeners. Like, honey, you know, you got some better to do than than you know indulging on on destructive habits. I think one thing I hear often it's the people fall back into the old ways so quickly because some of these practices don't give them that sort of a you know what I see often is is 
it's kind of like I want the switch to go on in the first time I sit. I want this the light bulb to go on within the first week, within the first couple of days or uh, months even, you know, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time. We've been poisoning ourselves for so long. So it takes time to sort of declutter the mind, you know, to get to that point of like, okay, now I'm awake. Now I can genuinely ask myself, what do I need? And perhaps not a seated practice, perhaps it's going on a hike with a friend, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or dancing or cooking, whatever. Well, it may be. I mean, asking for immediate results is just unrealistic. That would be like me saying, you know, uh, I feel really creaky, which happened to me at first during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start working with a trainer and I want to have an immediate transformation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I did feel something at first, mm-hmm. but after I worked out with this trainer twice a week for a year, I felt like a different person, mm. but it took twice a week for a year. And why would we not apply? I mean, you could use any metaphor you want. Like That's I want right. to be a good, a great tennis player the first time I get out on the court yeah. with a racket. No, actually you're going to have to do some training. Yeah. So it's just like anything else. Do some training. It's not that much. It doesn't take that long. It works. If you're working with a teacher who's part of a lineage, who's offering you a practice that is reliable. And then, uh, once you you kind of have your have your thing going, um, be a free person. Be a free person. I think that's the modern approach. It's that you know, land, arrive, and then be a free person. Allow the allow that inner guidance to give to to offer you what you need. Um, I want to ask you about running a business with integrity, and and the the challenges that it comes right. Sure. Doing something so big and helping so many people and, you know, sticking with the, with like, we're here to serve sentient beings and there's a caliber of, of, of depth that we require, you know, tell me more about this for people who are are listening, wanting to start a business, you know? Sure. Um, Well, first of all, each one of us has the challenge of living our lives with integrity. Each one of us, regardless of what you're doing. That's right. Are you in integrity with your body? Start Mm -hmm. there. Yes or no. There's so much there what you're putting into it every day. That's right. Are you getting the rest that you need? Mm-hmm. Like, just tell yourself the truth. How are you and your body doing? Just start there. Because no one else mm-hmm. is going to take care of your body if you don't. It's your Oof. it's your responsibility. Oof. You know what I mean? So that's the first place. Then how about being in integrity with the people that you live with or are responsible for? Uh, what about right there, your next kind of intimate circle? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. each one of us has this. And it's hard. It's challenging. Yeah. I mean, for everyone. And then you just, for me, that's, it's just, I see it as concentric circles. Mm-hmm. Now you have your job. In my case, it, ha- it has to be, it's running a business, but even if it's not, it's mm-hmm. your work. Yeah. And are you, are, what is it? And so what does that actually mean to be in integrity with your work? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel like you're bringing your gifts forward? Are you letting people know you? Mm-hmm. As a real person, or are you like wearing all these five, six, seven layers of masks? Or are mm-hmm. you saying like, no, here's what, here's what I really am. Are mm-hmm. you letting yourself care about mm-hmm. other people? And you're letting other people care about you. Are you committed to growing and getting feedback from them mm-hmm. about where your blind spots are and mm-hmm. then communicating to them? So you're in a growth relationship, just like your intimate relationship or your relationship with your friends could be really growthful. Could your relationships at work mm-hmm. be really growthful? So to me, it's just an expansion of that in terms of running a company. And I think people have this idea, well, business works by these different rules. So, and that's just bullshit. Mm. We, we, we get to make up what business is because we're creating it. It's just a group of people 
relating to each other. You have to pay your taxes. Okay, great. What else? Mm-hmm. You know, we get to create our our way of being in business, just like we get to create our relationships. Mm-hmm. We don't have to inherit some old marriage paradigm with blah blah. Whatever. No way. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm creating. I'm creating a relationship from scratch. That's mm-hmm. real for me. I'm creating a business from scratch. Mm-hmm. I love this. <sighs> yeah, and keep and, and and integrity. I think it's a uh, that kind of moment to moment, you know, thing and checking in and and writing out a list of what you value in life, and then you know, working, letting your values, uh, like working with integrity as your boundaries. You know, like you, your what you value is the framework of 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 your of your boundaries and where you work from and how you present yourself. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think when people hear though this word like integrity values, it can sound a little abstract. Yeah. I like to make it just more like just like personal and palpable, mm-hmm. which is like, are you telling yourself the truth? Mm-hmm. Are you asking yourself real questions? Mm-hmm. How am I doing? Do I feel on track? Mm-hmm. Am I connected with the people I am interacting with? Mm-hmm. Am I listening to them? Am I loving them? Mm-hmm. Is my life as filled with love as I want it to be? Mm-hmm. Like it's just about like being being on it with yourself. That's right. You Brutally know, it's not honest. like some mor- it's not like some moral trip or mm-hmm. something, you know, that you impose from the outside. Like we know it. We know when we're like on the crest of that wave in our life. Mm-hmm. And we're like, you know, yeah. And we know when we need to make some adjustments. There's some mm-hmm. things I need to adjust here, and it might be painful because mm-hmm. mo- usually those adjustments are painful. That's right. We have to change some habits or something. It's hard, mm-hmm. but we have to have the courage to do that. We have yeah. to be uh, people with a backbone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we all have it. We're more resilient than we think we are. We're stronger than we think we are. I want to ask you about um, the dark night of the soul. Have you had sure. these experiences? I mean, how many have you had? Sure. How many sort of like rock bottoms that catapulted into a dark night of the soul of deep awakening um, or perhaps moments of like deep sort of stagnation that just catapulted you into like a deep search? I mean, um, you started all so young and 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 you you set out to India out of curiosity, right? It wasn't out of despair well, per se. Well, really it was a... Because in my sophomore year in the religious studies department, I mm-hmm. met a professor who was there for one year from Sri Lanka. He was there on a Fulbright scholarship. Okay. And he taught uh, Buddhist ethics and Buddhism and existentialism. That's and he and right. I became good friends. So that's okay. So it was mm-hmm. based on that friendship. And I was like, he's my friend. And I and his wife was my friend. And mm-hmm. I'd go over there and have curry dinners with them often yeah. in the evening and play with the kids. And so I was like, this college thing's meaningless. Yeah. He's my friend. I'm going to go <laughs> spend time with him in Sri Lanka. So it was like that. Oh, okay. um, mm. But, you know, in, in terms of your question about the dark night, you know, people use that term not in a technical way, the way that St. John of the Cross used it when he wrote about it, mm. which was more of a, of a real dissolution, even of your spiritual reference points. So there's nothing. There's not even the path you think you're on, nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I, I think it, it's used in, in, a, in a kind of 
deeper sense the mm-hmm. way uh, John LaCrosse wrote about it. But I think a lot of times people talk about the dark night as just like a really shitty period in my life mm-hmm. when everything, I couldn't make sense out of everything and mm-hmm. I was depressed or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think at a, at a certain point in my life, mm. I recognized that I'm okay even when I'm feeling lost. I'm okay even when I have despair. I'm okay even when things feel meaningless to me. Mm. Like there became this okayness. Mm -hmm. And I think that really came, because remember I shared with you this like, everything's right here. Mm -hmm. I'm not, so I think I started seeing like, okay, I'm in some kind of, pressure cooker right now. Something's incubating. I'm Mm -hmm. in a process. This is a difficult process. This is not a pleasant process. Mm -hmm. This is a a process where I can't find any place to stand. The stuff I used to care about, I don't care about it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all gone away. So I feel that. I feel that a lot. I feel that a lot. That comes and goes in my life. Mm -hmm. That's just there. It's part of how I find what's meaningful for me. It's part of how I find the thread of what I'm actually called to do next mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. I have to go through that. Mm-hmm. But there's a baseline okayness mm-hmm. that says, and you know this is the journey, Tammy. Mm-hmm. You know this is the journey. Mm-hmm. This is how it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how it goes. So that's kind of kind of what my life is like. Mm-hmm. There are times when I feel lit up and happy and brilliant and, you know, and then there are other times where I feel like, wow, I don't get it. And But underneath it all is an okayness. And that's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you find that that remembrance comes from having a community and support and being in a loving relationship um, as well? I, I'm, I'm constantly trying to remind people of that one teaching from the Buddha that Ananda asked the Buddha about how much of the holy path is the community. And the Buddha answered, uh, the community is the whole of the holy path. And so often I hear from people saying that they feel so lost, they feel so lonely, they just are having their spiritual awakening, their lives are changed, they don't want to be in this job anymore, they don't want to be with these friends, and they're just kind of having this kind of massive disillusion of everything that they that they thought about themselves and the world, uh, and then they feel so alone, you know? And I find that in the moments where I am in similar space to you. Days that I'm lit, sassy as fuck, and there are days that I'm just like not, you know? Even before we got on the record, I was sharing with you my existential philosophical questions I'm having right now in my own uh, life. And, and you know, and earlier today, I was talking to my sister who's in Florida, and then um, this morning talking to my partner. Um, so having the community has been such an enormous spiritual friends I can rely on to remind me that I'm okay you know, despite of anything that's happening, circumstances don't, can't clutter that okayness, can't, can't delete that okayness, which is our basic goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you a story, Saw. Please. I went out to dinner with two good friends, Julie and I, my wife and I went out to dinner with two good friends mm. on just a couple nights ago. Mm. And one of our friends said, oh my God, being around you too, it's so regulating for me. I feel so regulated just being around you. And I said, why? Is it because we're particularly regulated? And he said, <laughs> no. Uh, He's like, it's because I feel your love and care. 
Uh-huh. I feel how much you love me and care about me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, good, because we can always deliver that because we love and care about you. Mm-hmm. And I think we need that. We need people in our lives, mm-hmm. our friends, mm-hmm. who love and care about us. That's right. And there's something about it. When we touch that, we suddenly, I mean, this word regulated is another word for okay. Mm-hmm. We suddenly are like, oh, I, I, I'm here, I'm in my body, I'm being contacted mm-hmm. by people who love and care about me. Mm-hmm. And the really amazing thing is that we can give that to each other mm-hmm. all the time. That's right. It's a really simple gift we can give in all of our interactions with each other. Mm-hmm. It's just to take those extra moments to express our love and care and to feel it for the people that are in our life. Mm, I love that. And you do have that presence too, Tammy. I do. Even through the screen, I've never met you in person, uh, but you do have that um, that ability to to really, it just, it's like, everything's going to be okay, Sa. That's just what's being communicated non-verbally. That's how I'm, that's how I'm feeling, you know? And I was yeah. sharing this with uh, Marianne Willinson earlier on the podcast. Um, I had her, I, I interviewed her earlier this morning and I was sharing that, you know, even when she was on those presidential debates, it wasn't so much about what she was saying. It was more about this like non-verbal transmission that was coming through the screen. And I feel the same experience uh, with mm-hmm. you too. Well, actually, I think we're all always transmitting Mm -hmm. our deepest state of being Mm -hmm. to each other. That's That's actually what's going on. We use all these words and we tell these stories and, you know, we're cool or we're not cool or whatever. But our actual vibratory state of being is always being transmitted and communicated to each other. Mm -hmm. So if we've discovered something like basic trust, Mm a basic trust, which is what okayness is, Mm -hmm. a basic trust in being. Mm -hmm. People feel that Mm -hmm. like, oh, life is trustworthy. That's right. This difficult journey I'm on, Mm -hmm. I can trust it. I have my path. It's winding ways. It's weird turns. I can trust it. So yeah, Basic trust is a powerful thing to discover, and then other people feel it in our presence. I never heard about the basic trust. I never, I never heard it like that. Wow. Yeah, you can feel it because it's a powerful phrase. You can feel it in your body because wow. it's like, does your body feel like it trusts being incarnated here on the earth? I trust when my foot touches the ground. I can feel that sense of, I trust the earth. I'm here. I'm part of it. I'm connected. Oh my God. This is, this is the highest truth right here. Oh my God. <laughs> Full stop. Oh my God. Basic well, right trust. Here, can we trust the chair that we're sitting on? You yeah. know, can we, and, and cause you can feel it. It's a sense of feeling dropped, mm-hmm. a sense of not resisting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Basic trust. Thank you for this. This is this is the high high, the most high, the delicious nectar of of of, of years of of you know diligent practice. Thank you for that. The basic trust. So having basic trust and trans transmits as as trustworthy people, as people that you can rely on. You know. Wow, I love this so much. Thank you, Tammy. Now, <clears throat> speaking about trust, then it comes up for me, forgiveness. 
Um, it's, a, it's something that I talk to every guest on the show. It's something that I think it's so misunderstood and, and some aspects of the, the, the healing trauma and spiritual transformation work kind of forgiveness kind of sometimes gets a bad rap, you know? Um, so we'd love to hear your perspective on forgiveness and how has forgiveness kind of like played a role in your life? I mean, I, my whole game has been around being just tremendously um, harsh with myself and so critical of myself and so much so that I would even contemplate, should I live? Is it worth, am I worth living? So self-forgiveness played, plays, a, has, has, has played a massive role. And when, when the right person asks me, and I say the right one, when I think, when I can open that door of, of trust, you know, with someone vulnerable, what set you off on the path was, was a lack of forgiveness, was my inability to, to, to be okay with who I am and to be okay with the kind of life that I've lived, um, it wasn't the depression or the suicidal thoughts and the addiction or the anxiety. It was that, that was the culprit. It was my inability to, to establish that, that trust in myself, that I have lived a, 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 an okay life, that I, that I am a good person. And, and that kind of inspired me into this lack of forgiveness. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, as you're talking, I guess two things are coming up for me. One mm -hmm. is forgiveness as it applies to other people. Mm -hmm. And then the other is turning a kind eye, a loving eye, a compassionate eye, a gentle eye to ourselves. Mm. And it sounds like it's the latter, actually, that you're really mm -hmm. interested yeah. in. Mm -hmm. And you know, uh, I'll just share something with you because it was really powerful for me. I interviewed a gentleman named Paul Conti a mm -hmm. couple weeks ago, and he's written a new book with Sounds True called Trauma, The Invisible Epidemic. And mm -hmm. he's a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And Lady Gaga actually wrote the foreword to his book mm -hmm. because uh, he's a psychiatrist who helped her personally mm -hmm. through a pretty dark period. And he himself uh, lost a brother to suicide. Mm -hmm. And it was a really difficult loss for him because with that, then there was so much shame. You know, what? how did this happen in our family? Mm -hmm. What was my responsibility? Just so much. And I asked him about when it comes to healing trauma, and we've all had different forms of trauma and so much of it, that's why he calls it an invisible epidemic. Mm -hmm. What What's key? And I said, you know, look at you, you know, you went to Stanford, you're so persevering. He said, Tammy, the persevering part of my nature, it wasn't, that wasn't the, that wasn't really the turning point. He's like, whether it was working through my own trauma or working with all of the patients I've worked with, it's when we learn to be compassionate towards ourselves, mm -hmm. that's what makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a, a turn that we each get to choose. I think it's a choice that we can each make. And it's, it's a choice where we say, you know, I'm going to treat myself the way I would treat a friend, the way I would treat anybody that was dear. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bring that same kind of love and compassion that I would bring to someone else. I'm going to give that to myself. I'm a person too. Mm -hmm. I'm a person too. Mm -hmm. We all go through this. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think this turning a compassionate eye to ourself is a turning point on the journey. It sounds like it was a big turning point for you. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, you know, I found in my own life, when things get really rough, Mm -hmm. I do a practice that I learned from Kristen Neff, who wrote a book on self-compassion and Mm. did a lot of work with Sounds True, where you actually touch yourself Mm. kindly, like your hand or your face, Mm -hmm. and you say kind words to yourself. Mm -hmm. And so you can just touch, touch, because it changes our whole uh, biochemical system, when we do that, mm-hmm. we move into a tend and befriend way of being. Mm-hmm. It releases oxytocin inside mm-hmm. of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So even there's no one else in the room, you just pet your face. I mean, it's a weird thing to do, or pet your hand. I know. And you just say something nice to yourself. You know, Tammy, that was really hard. That, that really put you through your paces. That was really challenging. You're okay. You know, I really care about you. You try so hard. You're so mm-hmm. earnest. You know, Jesus, you know, I could call you Ernestine. You know, you just talk to yourself kindly mm-hmm. and you, t- you, you, you touch yourself while you're doing it and mm-hmm. let your biochemistry shift. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's an intervention yeah. you can use with yourself. So the choice is I'm going to intervene with mm-hmm. this pattern with this pattern of, you know, whipping myself, whatever. I'm going to make a different choice. Mm. Wow, that's so beautiful. Oh, honey, you're giving the medicine today, I got to tell you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. That was so beautiful. I want to ask you um, about queerness and spirituality in the um, and in this space that we're in, you know, that could be so often so heteronormative, so, um, you know, white and, and it could it really live, you know, some of some of the, you know, the, the, the queer people of color feeling so alienated and so un, unwelcome into the space. What do you um, what, what's your experience with this? I mean, of course, you're you're the queen of this of the you're at the head of the space, so ain't nobody can tell you shit, honey. <laughs> well, whatever. So you know. Uh, you know. Um, well, I had this this interesting uh, conversation re- recently with Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams oh on God, the core yes. of belonging yes. mm. about belonging, mm. and she said a powerful thing: belonging belongs to you. Other people don't get to define whether I belong or not. I'm mm-hmm. not giving that power to a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. I belong because inside myself, I know what it means to be this alive, basically trusting expression of earth energy. I belong. Mm-hmm. Nobody else gets to define that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was especially powerful coming from her. A queer black woman. You know, Mm -hmm. when I say it, people would say, yeah, well, that's great. You know, you had your inheritance to start your business and you had this and you had that. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I did have those things. And, you know, when I started Sounds True, Mm -hmm. uh, there weren't businesses that were operating on multiple bottom lines. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, there, there, whatever. I just said, I, I'm going to make this up Mm -hmm. and we get to make it up. Mm-hmm. What's multiple bottom lines? What does that mean? Oh, multiple bottom lines means we're not just trying to make money. We're trying to have a, a certain kind of culture that values personal growth. And we're also trying to change the world all at the same time. And we make sure that our business delivers 
not just on a financial bottom line, Mm -hmm. but on a personal growth and relationship bottom line for all the ways we touch people Mm -hmm. and on all the ways we impact the greater collective. So we we operate, all of those are, all of those are happening at once. They're all important bottom lines for our business. And I mean, I just made that up. Mm -hmm. I just made that up when I was 21 years old. Uh, this was way before people were talking about people, planet. Pro- mm-hmm. I just made it up because I was like, "What am I doing mm-hmm. here? What am I doing here?" Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as a queer practitioner, I was like, "What am I doing here? Mm-hmm. I don't relate to this. I don't relate to that. Mm-hmm. Okay, what do I relate to?" Mm-hmm. And I'll tell the truth about that. I relate to these energy flows and stuff. Okay, that's what I'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's incredible. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you for illuminating so much today. Ah, wow, Tammy. What a joy. Okay, last question. What does it mean to be spiritually sassy to you? Of course, we see you as spiritually sassy naturally, and you have like given the, your stamp of approval for this word to even exist. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you. This is really going to be odd for you, yeah. Saw. Okay. Sometimes when I'm trying to see like how much sass does this person have, spiritual sass, how much, I do a weird little visualization. Uh. So this is very weird. I imagine that we're playing baseball. What? Okay, we're playing baseball. And this person is up at the mound. Okay. What do they do? How do they use their hips? Ooh. How do they hold their bat? How do they like the ball comes at them and all they have to do is wink? And they hit the ball out of the park. With They just winked. That's all they did. Oh but they God. just moved their little nose back and forth, you know? Yeah. Or maybe they just decided to, like, show their ass or something. Like, what is the dance you do mm-hmm. when you go up to bat? And how much power does it emit from it? You know, and so of course, what the hell is Tammy doing playing baseball with all this? But it's just this <laughs> idea that we each have, mm-hmm. like, all of this capacity inside mm-hmm. of ourselves. And we mm-hmm. each have our move. Mm-hmm. You know, we have our little strange move. Mm-hmm. And you can feel it because you know someone who has a lot of spiritual sassiness. Mm-hmm. When they get up to the plate, they always hit the ball and they don't even have to use very many muscles in their body to do it. Mm, wow. I have not heard a sing- this is the first time ever I'm hearing that. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my God. So illuminating, so inspiring. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you so much. Fun to to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much. And so where can we find you? Come to soundstrue.com. Check out the Insights at the Edge podcast. There's more than 600 of them and all the programs we've created. Check out the Inner MBA, which is a training program for people in business Mm -hmm. to lead business with their hearts and souls fully intact. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and you can find Sa's book. It sounds true too. It's great to be your publisher. That's right. Thank you so much for everything. Wow. Thank yeah, you. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. Lots of love. I'm Sada Simone, and you've been listening to the Spiritually Sassy Show. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and reveal this podcast. And join me next Sunday for another Spiritually Sassy conversation. Thank you so much for listening, and I love you. Mm-hmm.